Hello and welcome to Sunday School Dropouts, the podcast where an ex-Christian and a non-believing sort of Jew read all the way through the Bible for the first time. My name is Nico Bakulich. And my name is Lauren O'Neill. And now it is the time when we are to get biblical. Let us get biblical. Let us. Uh, First, we're going to go over some ground rules. I'm Lauren. I'm the ex-Christian. I was raised Presbyterian. I am now an atheist. And my name is Nico. I am the non-believing sort of Jew. Also, this is not a Christian Bible study podcast. And it's not appropriate for children because we cuss a lot. Mm-hmm. The material in and this our opinions episode, are too true. The material in this episode is extremely boring mm-hmm. and totally appropriate for children, but we will probably make it terribly vulgar. Uh, with God as our witness, we're going to do our best to try. We're going to do our best to fuck it up. Um, I normally read the New International Version, but not this week. And I normally read the New Revised Standard Version, but also not this week because, Lauren. Yeah. We read some Apocryphons. Yeah, we did. We read two Apocryphons. Mm-hmm. Also, we're married now. <laughs> By the time yeah, you may have noticed the rings, by and the you were time like, "What's up with that?" This podcast uh, hits your ears. <laughs> we will be married because it was our tenth anniversary, and we were like, "Eh, let's get married." So now you know. Now everyone knows. Yeah. Thanks for blowing the lid, Lauren. Yeah, you're welcome. Anyway, back to Bibble. We are talking about two books today called "The Holy Sacrament of Marriage." Called. <laughs> First and second Clement. And confusingly, not Clement Street, like in San Francisco, yeah. as Lauren corrected me earlier. I was like, the place with dumpling and Irish bar. And mm-hmm. she's like, no, Nico. The boring one. You're wrong. <laughs> um, I mean, I think it's pronounced Clement. I don't think it's pronounced Clement like in San Francisco, but fuck if I know. Something they do not teach you in Sunday school is that. There were all these power struggles in the early Christian church Mm. and all these different versions of Christianity duking it out. So that you had the Gnostics, who we will talk more about in future episodes. Uh, You had the Ebionites, who wanted Christianity to stay more Jewish. Mm. Um, You had the Marcionites, who thought there were two separate gods, one for the Old Testament and one for the New Testament. That's awesome. Uh, and so on and so forth. So the ones who eventually won out, we now call them the proto-Orthodox, just because their beliefs became Orthodox when they won. Makes sense. Um, And so we are going to look at two books today. They're both proto-Orthodox, but they give us some information about these little power struggles and uh, the the versions of Christianity that might have been. And these... Are very interesting because they're they're from very early in Christianity's history. No, yes, yes. like this is yes. <laughs> this is stuff that's happening between like sixty and hundred A.D. Yes, like just as the church is starting to pop off <laughs> in a major way. Um, so the first one we will talk about is called First Clement, and here's some fast fucking facts for you. <laughs> um, it was written around the year ninety five, probably. Okay, that's um, a great year. It's a letter from the church in Rome to the church in Corinth, because the Corinthians are being naughty again. Um, It's attributed to Clement because he was the bishop of Rome at the time, Mm. i.e. the pope. 
Oh. He was either the- When was the first pope, by the way? Well, I mean- Did they like backdate it and say that Peter was the first pope? They Like you can consider Peter the first pope, kind of, but um, then it was Linus. Who wore the first hat? And You know what I care about, baby. <laughs> I know. I don't know. I don't know when they got the hat. I don't think they had the hat yet. But so there's Linus and then maybe Cletus and then Clement. Nice. Um, from from what I can tell. So this is Pope Clement the First we're talking about. I've only got one Pope Linus, and you know who he is. Linus from the Snoopy comics? No, I can't remember his last name. <laughs> the inventor oh, of the Linux Linus kernel. Torvald? Yes. Uh, he pronounces it Linus. That's why it's pronounced Linux. Ah, I'm a nerd, by the way. I don't know if anyone told you. My wine glass is stuck in my... It's, headphone cord it's such an easily solvable problem also, oh there we go okay I got it. <laughs> um okay so <laughs> this is pope clement the first this is going great by the way aka saint clement aka someone who may or may not have personally known peter it's kind of hard to say and the text of this epistle mm-hmm. doesn't actually say that it's by clement or like it doesn't say who it's by mm-hmm. Um, it would certainly make sense for Clement to have written it as the head of this church. Uh, and it was probably... As the proto-pope, yeah. Yeah. No, he's he's a full-on pope, yo. Well, it's proto-orthodox, proto-pope. In any case, it was probably written around the time he was in charge. Mm. Um, and so he may or may not be the author. It would make sense if he were, but we don't know for sure. And the New Testament, as such, did not exist yet when this was written. Um, And when the church started putting together a Christian canon, this book was often included. Up to like the fifth century or something like that. Well, it depends on which which canon you were looking at. But this was often included, which makes sense. Honestly, I don't really see a reason why like the Pauline epistles are in the New Testament and this isn't. Because I could see at some point just being like only people that met Jesus are allowed to have. But Paul didn't meet Jesus. I know he didn't meet Jesus, but he's a special exception because like. Because they decided that he was. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. You know what? I just talked myself out of a job. <laughs> okay, great. Um, so the situation that this letter was written about is that the church in Corinth deposed their church elders. Right. A.K.A. their presbyters. Mm-hmm. That's the Greek word for church elder. It was raised Presbyterian after that word. Um. So they've put new new presbyters in charge. Um, and For what reason? Embezzlement? Sex scandal? We can never know. We don't know. But it's almost certainly either embezzlement or sex scandal. Those are the usual reasons that <laughs> church people get replaced. Um, <laughs> but presumably these ones uh, did not agree with the proto-Orthodox school of thought. Because the, the previous epistle to the Corinthians was all about... How guys they are... wanted to be more Jewish than the other people wanted them to be, right? Um, yeah, that was part of it. Yeah, yeah. um, it was also like your women are too uppity; they can't talk in church right, and right. stuff like that. Great stuff. Yeah, top notch. But it was definitely like Paul was like, "You guys, I told you the rules, and you're breaking them." Mm-hmm. And this is basically the same thing. It's like you know the rules, and you're breaking them. Put those presbos back. Yeah, I know it feels good, but you can't do it. <laughs> Um, so it's a pretty long letter and pretty boring. Mm -hmm. So we're just going to give it a light skim. We're just going to 
just going to tickle First Clement a little. <laughs> um, it starts off, you know. Don't know where that got me. With, <laughs> with the same, <laughs> same basic message, like your women need to be more submissive. Um, uh, you're full of jealousy, which has caused all the problems ever. Yeah, envy is like a big problem with them. Yeah. I don't really get it. I guess um, envy that the like the proto orthodox are in power and not them. I don't know. It's it's not really explained. Um people are envious of Paul, the letter writer says. Yeah. Which leads to some sort of iniquity. I That seems to be I mean it's interesting that Paul hasn't used that argument yet. You're just jealous of me mm. because it seems like I mean, it's implied. It seems like it would be very appealing to him, that argument. Yeah. Like you can't handle this jealousy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think you're ready for Paul's jelly. Mm-hmm. Um, what's interesting about this letter is that it seems to be coming from a very Jewish perspective. I agree. Um, he talks about how like everyone needs to obey God's commands and like some of the examples he uses are like um, sacrifices at the temple in Jerusalem and like um, Levites. Yeah. You know, and specifically saying like people from out of town would want to make a sacrifice at their local place of worship. But those were old places for old gods. And like God made a commandment that this is the new place. And I'm like, that's that's deep Old Testament yeah, that's, knowledge. That's old. That's proper old school Jewish stuff. Yeah. Um he also uses a Jewish interpretation of the coming resurrection. Mm. Um you know, it's like everyone will be raised from the dead and sorted into the righteous and the wicked, the righteous will be rewarded, the wicked will be punished. Um he you know, it's not like one of these newfangled Christian heaven and hell situations. Like he's going with the old fashioned Jewish judgment day. And in fact, so old fashioned that he evokes Enoch, a fellow we haven't talked about in a long time. Yeah. But this guy's like, Hey, before I even talk about Abraham, about Lot, about Isaac, don't you remember Enoch? Mm -hmm. Like God showed Enoch the end of the world. Yeah. And I'm like, I think that was apocryphal. (laughs) Well, Enoch, the the man is mentioned in Genesis, right? But the part where God showed him the end of the world, the part with the fuck angels and stuff, mm-hmm. yeah. I but don't... I'm saying this guy's got deep knowledge, exactly. Yeah. And his quotation game is on point. Too. Yes, it's structured like a sermon, right? Yes, like he, he says like, a point and then he gives you he gives four you examples. scriptural yeah. backup. Yeah, it, well, it's not really like a sermon. It's more like an essay. It's more like like a like a Greek rhetorical oh, argument. I see, like a the classic five paragraph yeah. style. Yeah. yeah. Um. I've never heard a sermon, so I guess I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> um, I mean, sermons do sermon is more like the opposite, where you pick a passage and then you like explicate that passage. Right. right. I right. mean, whatever. Not all sermons are the same, but th- that's more typical. Yeah, not all sermons. I got you. Uh, hashtag not all sermons. Um, one thing I like is that he explicitly calls out people who say, quote, we have heard these things from the time of our parents and look. We have grown old and none of these things have happened to us. So basically anybody who says, uh, yeah, you're always predicting the end of the world, but it never comes. Like everyone just predicts the end of the world. And he's like, well, this time it's really going to happen. Yeah, great argument. <laughs> well, guess what? It didn't. But I will say in this letter's favor, in Clement's favor, apparently Paul was just the worst writer in the world. And, and <laughs> I, I'm because I was reading 
all of his epistles and I'm like, this is kind of shit. Uh-huh. Like every once in a while he'll come up with something decent. Yeah. But like, why Paul? <laughs> if everything about this makes me ask why, why Paul? Paul? Well, that's what I'm saying. I don't really get why this isn't included. Because he comes up with some amazing, I'm, I'm very decent preachifying. Yeah. Let us then, men and brethren, with all energy, act the part of soldiers in accordance with his holy commandments. Let us consider those who serve under our generals with what order, obedience, and submissiveness they perform the things which are commanded them. All are not prefects, nor commanders of a thousand, nor of a hundred, nor of fifty, nor the like, but each one in his own rank performs the things commanded by the king and generals. The great cannot subsist without the small, nor the small without the great. Well, that actually mirrors... Kind of a nice passage from, I think it was Romans, where he was, where Paul was talking about how the church is a body and even the most insignificant part. That's true. You know, is. that's true. That's true. Um, but I, I guess it's just like. Well, here's here's the metaphor that I like. So the thing about the, the thing about Paul is he's he's pretty poor on metaphors. Yeah. He's he's mostly just like uh, arguing. Right. Like trying he's to, a, he's trying to reason, lay out an argument. He's a reason dude, yeah. not a poetics guy. Yeah. Even though his reason sucks. So like yes. <laughs> that shouldn't be the thing he leans all his weight on. But um, there is one metaphor in here that is very striking and it's the one with the Phoenix. Mm. Uh, did you, did you remember this? Uh, he tells the story of the Phoenix. He's like in the East, they've got this thing. They've got this crazy <laughs> animal and he kind of, uh, it seems it reads to me like he's saying like this is an actual animal that exists, right? Um, but his like phoenix mythology is really fucked up because <laughs> he says that when a phoenix is close to death, it builds itself a tomb of frankincense and myrrh, mm. goes inside and dies, and then a worm sprouts from its rotting flesh, grows wings, and carries the tomb with the phoenix's bones. To the city of Heliopolis in Egypt <laughs> and leaves the bones in the sun altar. Yeah, this is like Phoenix as overheard by a small <laughs> child. Yeah. With the gaps filled in. Yeah. Um but... I liked I like that because that was like that reminds me so much of like conspiracy theory where you're like, oh well the serpent people have always existed. For example, like look at the the Adam and Eve, <laughs> or like, look at the Quetzalcoatl. In you take like South three America. details and then you fill in everything else. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But then this one's like, look, Jesus is a real thing because, for example, there's the story of the Phoenix, and that's basically Jesus. So, like, think so, about think about that. So, like, put those presbos back. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he gets into, I think, the the most significant concept that is presented in this letter. Um which will come to be known as apostolic succession. Although mm, that he does sounds not riveting. That. Yeah. Um, the direct quote that... Rivet me, daddy. <laughs> direct quote from this text that sums this philosophy up is, quote, Christ came from God and the apostles from Christ. So basically, the argument is no one knows God's will better than Jesus because he is at at least God's son, possibly God At the God very himself. least. Uh, and we'll work out the details later. Yeah, we'll work out the details later. Pending. Patent pending on the Trinity. Um, but Jesus taught the apostles and sent them off to go make churches all over the Roman Empire. And the apostles put people that they approved of in charge of those churches. And so 
we shouldn't question who they put in charge because like they came from Jesus. Right. So this is basically like direct orders from God about who should be running these churches. Um, so you can't just depose your church elders and put in new ones because that's like defying, going against the will of defying Jesus. the will of God. Right. Yeah. Um, and he he puts in an extra a great guilt trip. This is a classic Christian guilt trip. Mm. Good to know they developed it this early, which is that if you defy God's will by putting these new elders in charge, you're being a stumbling block to everyone else in the church and you're leading them away from God. Oh. So it's not just like your actions that it's not just you that's being affected by your actions. You're actually condemning all the people in your church to hell. And you don't want to do that, do you? I didn't think so. So put the presbos back. <laughs> now, a more developed version of this is still what the Catholic Church argues today. As the reason for their legitimacy. Um, well, the reason for their legitimacy, but also like um, the reason for the church having authority in addition to the Bible. So, like, Protestants I say see. that the Bible is the ultimate authority. Right. And I got to say, like, as we've been doing this podcast, as I've actually read, like, everything that's in the Bible, and as I've done all this research about how the Bible was put together, mm -hmm. I've felt more and more like, you cannot, this cannot be the ultimate authority. No, no, you can end up with some fucked up shit. It's so crazy. Like, it contradicts itself all the time. It's been through so many translations and edits and mistranscriptions by stupid scribes significant portions of it have expressly political purposes for contexts that do not exist anymore yeah and um and i mean that's still in the old Testament. like the yeah. old testament became obsolete itself like by the time that you have people saying oh jesus fulfilled fulfills these old testament prophecies they're already misinterpreting the old testament right you know so a, mis a misinterpretation of a misinterpretation doesn't get you any closer right, to God. Right, right, right. Yeah. It's just, it just compounds everything, right? Mm. So it's like ridiculous to think that in the year 2017, oh, I don't want to date the podcast, in the 21st century, <laughs> yeah, this is going to be a, a timeless podcast that lasts for the next 50 years until climate change destroys civilization. It's called a long tail. Um, so I've kind of been like... Hosting costs until the day we <laughs> die, my dear. I've kind of been feeling like more sympathetic to the Catholic position that like, well, tradition should count for something, too, because you can't just look at the Bible. Because faith is more than just this. Yeah. It has to be more yeah. than just a text. Right. But then like the fucking church is all fucked up, too. Like that. it's not like it's not any better than the Bible, especially after like 2000 years. You can't like we're supposed to believe that like. The bishop in Boston mm -hmm. is a direct... Just to name a place randomly. that has <laughs> nothing to do with any particular controversy. Is a direct, like, descendant... Spiritually speaking. From Jesus. Mm -hmm. You know, like, we're, yeah, this is exactly who Jesus would have picked because <laughs> for 2,000 years, people made these decisions exactly as Jesus would have done, you know? Yeah, that's an outside bet. Yeah. Knowing even... The tiniest amount about human nature and, right. and how power works. And the, I mean, like even the good ones are just humans, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, but that's good. The I bad mean, ones are very bad. Yeah. Um, 
Nobody's got magic powers, though. Unless. <sighs> well, David Blaine kind of does, though. I mean, well. He held his breath for like 17 minutes. For reals. I mean, like, actual magicians do have magic powers. I mean, they have they have trickses. They have tricksy, wicked, false powers. <laughs> oh. I mean, anything that convinces you is, is, is a certain kind of magic. I mean, fair enough. Yeah, suspension of disbelief. Novelists are magic. Um, point that I wanted to make is that apostolic authority mm-hmm. is, is your favorite thing of all time. Is not a lossless file. <laughs> okay. It's lossy. Because things are very different now. I mean, there wasn't fucking Pope hats. Like, Clement probably wasn't wearing a Pope hat, you know? So then Jesus, what, what Jesus if- definitely was not like, okay, you're going to be the Bishop of Rome. You're going to wear this hat. Get a sweet hat. And like the uh, the communion has to be served in wafers uh-huh. and and wafers have to be made of wheat. Otherwise, you're going to hell right. like that. That's all. You know, that's not direct from Jesus. Why does that have? But he appointed the people that made those poor decisions. Well, he appointed not the people that appointed the people that appointed the people that appointed the people, you know, like hundreds of years later. And I don't mean to imply that the hat was a poor decision. I think the hat. No, the hat was decision. a great decision. But the wheat one is fucked up. Because what if you're a Catholic and you have celiac? You can't eat the wafer. You can't take communion? That's fucked up. I agree. I agree. I bet there are only like two companies that make wafers too. And I they're, know. And they're somebody's friends. Well, there's probably one that makes them for like the North American market and the South American market, whatever. But like you could just as easily make them from rice flour or whatever. They don't have to taste good. I, yeah, I don't think that's on the menu. They do just all they have to do is literally transform into Christ's body <laughs> due to a magic prayer said by a priest. Well, I mean, we don't know the alchemy that transforms a wafer into Christ's body. Maybe gluten gets in the way. Maybe. Well, no, wait, no gluten, gluten is necessary. Maybe gluten is necessary. Gluten is the thing that holds it all together. Right. I mean, it kills your brain, but <laughs> according to science. Um, <laughs> according so. to quote unquote science. Uh, anyway, that's first Clement. Put the presbos back. Uh, we're in charge. Pop your presbos back in the pot, baby. And let's take a break. Yeah, sounds great. We'll be back in just a minute, and we'll talk more about Clement, what he's up to. It's gonna be great. It's gonna be fucking boring. Okay, love you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> back to Sunday School Dropouts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Nico. And I have a throat ulceration. How's that going? 
pretty bad. It hurts. Yeah. Apologies for last week. We could not. I mean, we like physically could not make an episode. But I still have a throat ulceration and it still hurts. But you're doing great. Yeah. And everyone is very proud of you. Okay, great. Anyway, today we're talking about the apocryphal books of 1st and 2nd Clement. We talked about 1st Clement in the first half. And now in the second half, we're going to talk about, you guessed it, Ephesians. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about 2nd Clement. Um. Here's some fast facts for Classic you. Classic switcheroo. It's called Second Clement, but it's completely unrelated to First Clement. Now, who who named who named him? Well, <laughs> who named this daddy? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, he was named this because I guess people thought that it was also written by Clement, although it's clearly not. If First Clement might be written by, like, this is clearly by a different person than mm. First Clement. It's like. And 90s kids will remember this. In the early days of Napster, if there was any parody song of any kind, it was always by Weird Al Yankovic. Oh. (laughs) Even if it was not, even if it was like They Might Be Giants or something like that. That's why a lot of people think, and not a lot of people, but people I've spoken to, (laughs) important people, have thought that they might be. At the highest levels of our government. (laughs) They Might Be Giants, uh, Constantinople, Istanbul song. But that's not even a parody. That's just a cover. No, but people, th- I know, but people thought that was Weird Al Yankovic. That is so strange. And I know that some people called him Weird Al Yankovic, and I, I think that's also how he pronounces it as well. But in my mind, he's always Weird Al Yankovic. I don't think it matters that much. That's the end of that story. Great. Anyway, 90s kids will remember. <laughs> anyway. The important thing uh, is. This book, Second Clement, is not an epistle or a letter. It is actually Don't get it twisted. a sermon. In fact, it is the oldest Christian sermon that we have on record. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Except, I guess, like Sermon on the Mount. But this is like the actual text, like written by the person who was delivering it. Hmm. Sermon on the Mount is kind of a, a TLDR <laughs> <laughs> as recorded in the Gospels. Um, as told to. Yeah. So like... First Clement, this is a another proto-Orthodox document, meaning it was written... It was from the winning team. Yeah, it was written <laughs> by the winning team. Um, but what's interesting is that it has some big differences with First Clement, despite being from the same school of thought. Um, and inexplicably named for the same dude. Yeah. Yeah. It is inexplicable because the first huge difference is that this is clearly from a Gentile perspective. Um. And it barely quotes the Old Testament at all. Mm. It quotes the Gospels a lot, but barely the Old Testament. Um, And instead of being like, yeah, we know about God's law. It says that the Levites have to make sacrifices in this way. He's like, yeah, we know about God's law. It means that we got to stop worshiping rocks and like fucking wood. Well, to be fair, (laughs) God does talk. I know the Israelites did do a lot of that, (laughs) but. At this point in history. They're both valid points from the Old Testament. (laughs) At this point in history, this is like, he's like, we're worshiping like fucking silver Artemis shrines. That's bullshit. We should have been worshiping Jesus. Yeah. Um, And so he starts quoting scripture. Actually, this kind of ties back into our brief mention of sermons in the first half, uh, which is that basically the, the format, the basic format here is he quotes a quote from Jesus and then he explains what that means. Mm. And uh, you know, 
how we should live according to that or whatever. Okay. Um, and so, like I said, he's mostly quoting New Testament. Um, what's interesting is he quotes Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the Synoptic Gospels, but never John. So it seems like he probably didn't have access to John. He probably didn't know John existed. Okay. Um, he quotes also first. Should, how shocked should I be? Uh, not that shocked yet. Okay. But wait for it. Okay. I can give you a gasp and I can give you like, you know, like a two gasp, like a, <gasps> I can give you like a five gasp, like a, <gasps> and I can go above that, but you know, I don't want to blow out these microphones. it'll cost you extra. <laughs> <laughs> quotes first Corinthians, he quotes Hebrews, which we haven't read yet, but that's in the New Testament. Okay. Confusing. Um, he also quotes first Clement. Um, and also several books that we no longer have, like we don't know where they came from. Mm. We don't know what he's quoting. Um, and so he does quote Isaiah and Ezekiel. Those are the two Old Testament books. Um, he also quotes a Gnostic gospel. (gasps) Okay. So that was a four. That was not a four. Try harder. (gasps) Baby. I'm giving you a three now. Okay, that was 2.5. We'll talk about this off We'll talk about this after. Okay, so, for example, I'm going to give you some examples here. Uh, He quotes Jesus as saying, I did not come to call the upright, but sinners. Saw that in all three synoptic gospels. Okay. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Okay. He quotes Jesus as saying, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will be saved, but only the ones who... Who do righteousness. Yeah. That's from the book of Matthew. Mm-hmm. Then he quotes Jesus as saying, even if you were cuddled up with me next to my breast, uh-huh. but did not do what I have commanded, I would cast you away and say to you, leave me. I do not know where you are from. You do what is lawless. We don't know where that quote is from. Yeah. That's not from any gospel or Bible book that we have access to today. Uh, then he gives another non-canonical. I mean, are you thinking of like plan another heist? <laughs> you think they may have a copy down down under Mount Religion? You know, I've been thinking about that heist. Mm-hmm. I think I know what we can do better next time. You're gonna say I didn't need to shoot that guard, and I'm gonna say I needed to. No, look, and I've, that is not your right to judge. I've come around to that. I've accepted that for what it is. Yeah, but what I think we need to do. Next time is, you know, they have the recipe for Coke down there. Coca-Cola? The original Coca-Cola recipe. Atlanta's finest? Yeah. That's where they've got it. Because, you know, Mormons aren't allowed to drink caffeine except Coke. Oh, my God. It all comes together in a way that I haven't totally wrapped my head around yet. It doesn't make any sense, but it comes together. (laughs) Um, Okay. Then we could be rich and enlightened, which is like... (laughs) Honestly, like four times as good as neither of those. And as Buddha, mm-hmm. that we would totally kick Buddha's ass. <laughs> okay, look. Well, he gave up all his possessions. So yeah, I, I know. That's so not really a contest, is it? We're going to keep all our possessions and be enlightened. Oh, that's how you win. That's how you beat Buddha H. Christ. In any I think that's case, a psychobilly band, right? This sermon uses another quote from Jesus that says, uh, it's it's Jesus telling his disciples they'll be like sheep among wolves. Mm. And Peter asks, what if the wolves tear us apart? And Jesus replies, after they are dead, 
the sheep should fear the wolves no longer. So too you do not fear those who kill you and then can do nothing more to you, but fear the one who, after you die, has the power to cast your body and soul into the hell of fire. That is from the Gospel of Peter, Hmm. which we only have a fraction of and which is not in the canonical Bible. Hmm. The strangest quote is Jesus saying that his kingdom would come, quote, when the two are one and the outside is like the inside and the male with the female is neither male nor female. Whoa. Yeah. The reason that sounds trippy is because it's from the Gospel of Thomas, which is Gnostic. Whoa. So we're going to get into this more in later episodes, but proto-Orthodox Christians at this time were in like a huge battle with Gnostics. And they spent so much time writing about how Gnostics were evil and perverted. And they made up all these like stories about how Gnostics had crazy sex rituals and orgies and stuff. And, and that they was had supposed to, to discourage people yes, from joining them. Yes. Um, and then this guy just goes and, and quotes a Gnostic gospel. Ah. Um, he interprets it into something that's very ordinary. He's like... He's like, oh, when the outside is like the inside, that's like your soul should be like obvious to everyone because you're being so Christian and doing good deeds all the time. So that's like your insides on your outside. He also interprets it to mean that gender doesn't matter and everyone can be a Christian and people shouldn't even notice each other's gender. People should be gender blind. Mm. Uh, That's clearly an idea that did not make it into the final version of Catholicism sure. which does not allow female clergy he also said something weird about gender which I noticed which was then let us elect to belong to the church of life that we may be saved I think not that you are ignorant that the living church is the body of Christ for the scripture says God created man male and female Genesis 127 the male is Christ the female the church which is apparently an interpretation of what's in Ephesians but I don't remember that at all um, hmm, I'm not sure. I mean, that uh, that line of thinking, I guess, that we saw for the first time in Ephesians, mm. that is uh, definitely becomes the canonical uh, like way to describe the church's relationship with Jesus. Is that it? The church is the bride of Christ. Oh, um, that's weird. Yeah. So. Makes sense to see it here, I guess. I I don't know. I don't think it originated with Ephesians. That may just be like the earliest document that we have of it, but I doubt that was where it originally came from. I don't know though. Oh well, it's weird. We, it's we, weird, but boring. Uh, it's weird but boring. Um, Welcome I, but to the I would podcast. Say, I would say most of it though is not weird. I would say most of it is stuff that I would recognize as standard Christian thought, uh-huh. especially Catholic thought. Um, stuff about live not for this world but for the next one um we're saved through jesus but we also need to follow god's laws uh there's a couple good metaphors in here again we were talking about how paul is bad at metaphors yeah um i like uh when this guy whoever the author is compares uh living righteously to an athletic competition Mm. um and how everyone should try to win the crown but if you can't win you should at least try to come close (laughs) um and if someone is caught cheating 
then naturally he's flogged and thrown out of the stadium. <laughs> As we all remember from our athletic days. Um, he also compares people to clay that can be reshaped while it's still soft. But once it goes in the kiln, then it's stuck. Yeah. So we should reshape ourselves while... The kiln is the name of my favorite club downtown. <laughs> once you go to the kiln, you're not going to be reshaped. No, I was going to say it's my favorite post-punk band. But uh, yes, we should reshape ourselves while we're on Earth to be more godly. Because once we die, that's set. Mm. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah. Um, uh, did your copy of this... We probably both read this on frankly disreputable internet websites uh, no i actually read uh i read it in the book lost scriptures by bart Ehrman. damn that's super reputable mm-hmm. i read it on something like newage.net or mm-hmm. something like that did it have stolen scriptures.org <laughs> sure yeah um serpent secrets.biz <laughs> um did yours have chapter headers no. The chapter headers in mine were incredible. Okay, tell me more. This is funny because it's usually reversed. Yeah. So chapter five, this world should be despised. <laughs> That's good. Chapter six, the present and future worlds are enemies to each other. True. What the True. fuck are you talking about? Chapter 19, even if for a brief space they suffer in this world. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I just like the idea of... The future these and are, the present being These are enemies. absolutely post-punk song titles, by the way. Yes. By the band The Kiln. Yes. The Kiln. <laughs> um, Have you ever seen them live? They fucking destroy. <laughs> There's also a verse which uh, I think should be relevant to certain modern American Christians, which Are you is, calling me out? No, quote, wait. That doesn't make any sense. For when outsiders hear the sayings of God from our mouths... They are astonished at their beauty and greatness. Then when they discover that our actions do not match our words, <laughs> they turn from astonishment to blasphemy, saying that our faith is some kind of myth and error. That's, yeah, I mean, that's fair. It's hard to argue with that. So anyway, I don't know. I think this book is interesting because, well, we were talking earlier about how, like, it doesn't make sense to to let the church be the authority of faith. Mm-hmm. But this is another piece of evidence that it doesn't make sense to let the Bible be the authority of faith either. Um, because if this, whoever wrote this, was living so much closer to Jesus's time. Mm-hmm. And like, if they didn't know about the Gospel of John, why are we so confident that it belongs in the Bible? And if they thought that the Gospel of Thomas was Holy Scripture, why are we so confident that it's not? That's a really good question. So basically, both these books, which don't actually have anything to do with each other, Mm -hmm. but which are named as if they did, um, I think they are both good examples to me of uh, this huge fundamental, uh, like unsustainable, insurmountable problem Mm. with Christianity, which is that like, if your objective is to follow Jesus, you can't. We don't know enough about jesus right to follow him Mm -hmm. uh we don't even have like good sources yeah we don't even have a single source about his life that was written while he was still alive right like the best sources that we have were written decades after he died so yeah i don't know these books are the texts are not 
very thrilling in and of themselves. On a technical level, good or interesting. <laughs> Quote unquote, good. Um, but I think they're they're really interesting in that they make it clear that there were a lot of other versions of Christianity that were big, that yeah. were just as big as the one that eventually won out. Yeah. Um, and the things that Christians today think are unquestionable doctrine that's directly from God, mm-hmm. like were issues of contention in the early yeah and early going and the reason that they lasted was like just kind of by chance or like by popularity it had nothing to do with a spiritual what, mandate or yeah, anything like that or yeah. what jesus even actually said <laughs> definitely like, even from if you assume you know that jesus was just a rabbi who wasn't actually the son of god we still don't know what he said you know um, so that's that's these books. So we're pretty much there, but I think it's about time that we rate these books. We've got to rate these books. How would you rate these books? I would give the, these books overall about 20 out of 75 commanders of a thousand. Okay. Is that uh, clear? Totally. And here's why. Um, they are not very good. Uh-huh. Um, they mostly just reiterate things that we've read in other books. Uh-huh. Not necessarily better because I'm not a huge fan of I'm not a huge fan of fall, as I've said before <laughs> many times. The main value of these books seems to be historical. Mm-hmm. Um, reading very early Christian writings. I, I guess it's good to get an overview of like what people were talking about in, in the time. What the chatter was. Yeah, what the word on the street was. Um but the comment section said. <laughs> yes, the comment section of early Christianity looked like this. But it doesn't really have anything super enlightening to say. Yeah. And at least the translations that I read were kind of whatever. Yeah. So I'm not sure how much poetry there is in it. Yeah. Um I'd give it a I'd give it a pass for all you Bibble heads out there. I'm similarly gonna give it four out of eight. Uh, phoenix worms mm-hmm. um i do think it's fascinating from a historical perspective mm-hmm. um but man especially first clement it was so long so first clement is as long as some of the longest old testament books yeah and it simply does not need to or deserve to be that long <laughs> well it's supposed to be just a letter like it's not written to be included as a holy text it's what supposed kind of to be fuckwit would send a letter this long <laughs> Like nobody would ever, especially when like nobody can read. Yeah, they pick up this thing and it'd be like fucking eight tablets, and you'd be like, "What is this garbage?" <laughs> I think they were onto papyrus by then, but I could be wrong. I mean, you measure in tablets. <laughs> I checked. Um, they like send a donkey over, just like laden with tablets. <laughs> oh shit! I hate this guy. <laughs> it's the male donkeys here. Cod, you fucking. Me? <laughs> That's cash on donkey. You put out to put the cash on donkey. <laughs> Um, I will say, okay, as I said, I don't understand why First Clement is considered non-canonical when the Pauline epistles are. It's quite inoffensive. However, the Pauline epistles, well, they're more entertaining, I guess, because Paul is so weird. They at least mostly have a point of view. This is very generic. This is very generic. It's very boring. Um, but... I don't know. Maybe that would be better than having this bizarre, like, wounded ego 
dictate Christianity. Maybe it'd be better to have this guy who's just kind of like smoothing it out. Yeah, just trying to like, integrate the hey stuff. Hey guys, just follow the rules. Can we just follow the rules? And like, hey, we're part of a tradition. Here's all the examples. We're just trying to do this stuff straight ahead, yeah. guys. Could you just as opposed to being all like weird and like circumcision? Are you talking about penises? And it's like, I don't like women, but you should fuck your wife, I think. Don't, I don't... fuck your wife with your uncircumcised penis. Or whatever Paul is up to. Yeah. Anyway. But yes, I think that a, maybe a little bit more of a moderated point of view would be effective in, in, in amongst these Pauline epistles. Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe not. I mean, people, whatever. People People love that dirty stuff. People interpret it to say whatever they wanted to say anyway. (laughs) That's a really good point. Really matters what's in there. Yeah. (laughs) And we have successfully rated the book. We have. Another one down. Another one. That's right. Just like DJ Khaled taught us. (laughs) Um, The gospel of Khaled. The gospel. Well, we'll work on that a little bit later. That's our screenplay. (laughs) Um, Before we go any further, though, I have something very special to tell you about. What's that? It's our first mailbag as a married couple. Oh, a little bundle of joy. That's right. It's called a mailbag. It's full of letters from friends. Uh, our listener Thelonious wrote in and uh, he, or possibly she, uh, grew up as a pastor's kid and is now a lazy Buddhist. Uh, he was shocked by our not being shocked by Job. Uh, he says if there's any point in the Bible where God is just a vile prick, it's in the book of Job. Uh no arguments there. I think just the book of Job is so famous mm-hmm. that it's not shocking because we've just all heard about it, no matter like what faith tradition you come from within like America, you've heard of it. Yeah. I mean, we probably should have been more shocked. And are we sorry? Yes, deeply. But will we apologize? Never. Never. That's simply not how we roll. Our listener Jack wrote in to tell us about the Christian video game Katechumen, I believe is how you pronounce it. I think Katechumen. It's like catacombs, right? Oh, yeah, probably. I assume. Katechumen, uh, where you shoot holy lasers from your sword to convert your enemies. Um, he also said as a cat named Fiasco to curse. I was aware of this game. It's, it's popped up on my radar. It's popped up. It's, it's on my radar. That's all I'll say, Jack. <laughs> oh, yay. And I know you're trying to get more out of me and frankly that disgusts me <laughs> thank you for your letter all right uh listener uh i'm not sure how to pronounce this aniel or perhaps anil anil uh wrote in from south africa um she had a similar sort of experience to mine where she was really involved in her church and she's now an atheist uh she used to do the on-screen lyrics and graphics for the worship band as she had zero musical ability and couldn't join the band. Um, Nico, I don't know if we've ever covered this, but a big part of the worship band is that there's... Um, so a, this is universal. I was going to say, is this a really high production worship band or is no, this relatively standard? this is standard? universal. There's a screen behind you and there's a projector that projects the words because oh. so, everyone sings along. Um, and so... Like, because everybody's like, we want to sing hymns, but we don't want to sing anything by like actual genius musicians like Bach or okay, Handel look, or anything like that. <laughs> Nobody's singing just Bach or Handel in like your average church worship. I know, I was being intentionally They're, obtuse. Oh, okay. They're singing like shitty hymns though, and you have a hymnal in a traditional service. Um, so you have the words. They're in a book in the front of the 
in the pew in front of you. Sure. So for a worship band with the Christian rock, what you do is you project the lyrics onto a screen and then depending on, you know, who's in charge of it and what the kind of vibe of yeah. the church is and like. And when the X hits, yeah. It's going to be like fucking star wipes, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and like uh, stock photos Cross and wipe, shit. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, or it might, you know, you might just get next slide, next slide, next slide. Mm-hmm. Depends on who's in charge. Uh, I assume that Aniel had uh, exquisite taste. Um, in, in wipes. In yeah. in wipes and stock photos. Uh, she also <laughs> sent us two cats to curse, Garfield and Wool or perhaps Vol. Our listener Sarah, a.k.a. My Mama, wrote in about her cat, Bella. She wants us to bless Bella because she seems to be suffering. This is Bella, not my mom. <laughs> seems to be suffering some sort of spiritual crisis, which manifests itself in odd facial expressions, new and distinctly uncat-like vocalizations. Yeah, Bella never used to meow, and then now she meows, That's and it sounds cat-like. weird. Um, and postures that would not be out of place in The Exorcist. This is true. We have so many photos of Bella that are just like... Why, Why are you what are sitting you like that? It makes no sense. <laughs> it can't be comfortable. <laughs> she also wants us to uh, curse the rats that Bella won't chase. Well, guess what? We only curse cats on this podcast and Bella's getting a curse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, mother-in-law. The cat's getting cursed. <laughs> She's a stickler for the rules, but that's why I love her. <laughs> Our listener, Meg, wrote in, um, she's a lifelong Episcopalian who's had a much more positive experience with the church. You know, it seems like Episcopalians really like the church. Seems like maybe people should... Go pisky? Yeah. Seems like people should go pisky. Um, She said, we had much less focus on memorizing Bible verses and saying what you can or cannot do, and a lot more focus on how you can be like Jesus and be welcoming, help the needy, and so on. Um, She also told us about the... U2 Charist, where you do a church service with U2 songs, which I can't believe that I've never heard of. It sounds amazing, and it sounds like the apotheosis of ridiculous Christian rock churchness. Mm. Our listener Hadley wrote in with two cats to curse, Jade and Pan. And listener Benjamin wrote in with a beagle named Yoshi to bless. A listener Shell Game wrote in with some very kind words about the show. And also the etymology corner, Nico and Trisha Lockwood. Calling out our generation's finest poet <laughs> right here. Uh, Bold move. Shell Game also said to us uh, two I dogs. I don't think you could take her in a fight. I definitely couldn't. There's no possible contest. Uh, Shell Game also sent us two dogs to bless, even though he tried to pass one of them off as a cat so that we'd curse it. You can't fool us. You can't fool God. This dog is getting a blessing. Simon and Louie both getting blessed. Our listener Melanie wrote us a really long and amazing email. We wish we had time to read all of it on air. One thing she said was that she got cancer at age 13. And she says, A very funny thing is that listening to this podcast, my feelings about cancer are so similar to the Jews' feelings about the Babylonian exile. That is funny. (laughs) Okay. Okay, so I'm supposed to trust God, she says, to see me through this one, even though it's God's will that he got me into this mess. That's a very good point. Yeah. I've also been finding it strangely easier to relate to these Old Testament prophets because I've been thinking about like, 
yeah, the leaders are corrupt and godless and they like harm the poor mm. and they they go against all our laws and like God should destroy them. You know, <laughs> like I, I feel like I understand, you know, how Ezekiel felt because I have Trump now in mm. my life. Anyway, sorry, go on. Melanie also asked us to bless her schnauzers, Coco and Archie, and curse her girlfriend's cat, Ozzy. And listener M wrote in with a very lovely email about uh, growing up as a lesbian in a fundamentalist church, which sucks. Uh, she also likes the etymology. Cor- like, we got like four Somehow emails. Somehow I feel like this is going to be your thing. You're going to collect all the emails <laughs> from everybody. And when you positively reinforce it, you're just going to get more. But be like, I love the etymology corner. Everybody loves the people love the etymology corner. Hey, people. Anyway, um, she sent us a, uh, a white German shepherd named Christmas to bless. So to the dogs, Simon, Louis, Coco, Archie, and Christmas, I say, let dogs therefore work righteousness that they may be saved to the end. Blessed are they who obey these dog commandments, even if for a brief space they suffer in the world and they will gather the imperishable fruit of the resurrection. And to the cats... Jade, Pan, Fiasco, Bella, Garfield, Wool or Vol, and Ozzy, I say, repent from your lawlessness. If your sins extend from the earth to the sky and are redder than scarlet and blacker than sackcloth, wash and become clean. Remove from yourselves the evils that are before my eyes. Put an end to your evil deeds. And that is how we end the show. We want to thank, as always, Elise Carlton for our logo. And for being the witness at our wedding. And also to thank Nico for his editing and sound engineering. You're very welcome, my dear. Um, you can follow the show on Twitter at Sunschool Drop. Also on Facebook, Sunschool Drop, or search for Sunday School Dropouts. You can follow Lauren on Twitter at Lauren E. O'Neill. O'Neill spelled like Shaquille does it. <laughs> and you can maybe follow Nico on SoundCloud if SoundCloud still exists. SoundCloud.com slash N-I-K-O-B-A-K-U-L-I-C-H. You can find all of the original music from the show on the SoundCloud page. Um, You can also find my EP that I released a couple months ago with my new band. It's under my own name. You can find it on whatever platform. It's on the Spotify. It's on iTunes. It's on Amazon. Check it out. You can email us, contact at sundayschooldropouts.lol. That's contact at sundayschooldropouts.lol. And of course, if we're going to curse or bless anything, we got to see that boat. We got to check the pick. Got to look him in the eyes. Mm-hmm. Also, leave us a iTunes review. Yeah, it's super helpful to let other uh, cool-ass friends and lovers like yourselves find the show. <laughs> yep. And that's all we have to say, frankly. We will see you next week on Sunday School Dropouts. My name is Nico. I'm Lauren. And we will see you on Sunday. Bye. Bye.